0: Welcome to Getting Through It, where we're here to help you get through it. I'm John Bwery, and as always, I'm with the plain speaking explainer, Dr. Lucy Jones. Today's episode is sponsored in part by SoCal Gas, who's committed to building resilience in the communities it serves. We also thank our individual supporters who help underwrite the work of the Dr. Lucy Jones Center for Science and Society through Patreon. Would you consider sponsoring this podcast and the work of the Jones Center for as little as $5 per month? Because your support enables us to serve even more communities. Simply go to patreon.com, that's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com, and search Dr. Lucy Jones. Now let's get to it. When we started this podcast back in June 2020, we were in some of the deepest points of the pandemic. It's part of the reason we started this podcast. We knew things would have to happen, like vaccines, more people getting sick and worse, in order us to move forward as a society beyond the pandemic. And when we were using the word pandemic and not epidemic, we started to realize it was something different than we experienced before. And now, nearly two years later, we're starting to talk about an endemic and not a pandemic. Lucy, explain all these words.
1: The difference between epidemic, pandemic, and endemic is solely about the rate of spread of the disease. An epidemic is defined as an unexpected sudden increase in a particular geographic area. Pandemic is an epidemic happening in many geographic areas. Endemic means that the rate is predictable. So the difference is not about how dangerous the disease is, And it's not about your chances of dying. The sole difference is that an epidemic is unexpected and the endemic is predictable.
0: Now, before we go on, and I have a couple more questions about this, I know that there's going to be people who say, why is Lucy the seismologist or even Lucy the disaster scientist talking about a public health issue? And sometimes, Lucy, you know, they say it in a much cruder way, thanks to our friends on social media. But I look to you as my source of credible information interpretation, right? That when we talk about pandemic, I'm glad that you are, at your core, a numbers person, right? You're a statistician. To many, if you can make sense of it, they'll be able to manage it. And again, I know this thanks to the double-edged sword that is social media. So how can you, as a disaster scientist, a seismologist, and a statistician, give interpretation to this information?
1: Well, let's take a moment to think about how we think about expertise, Public health is an important issue to all of us because we're all part of the public. I do not try to analyze epidemiological data or do the research, but I can and do read the scientific papers about these studies, always trying to remember that any one paper is one paper and may be proved wrong by another one. But it does have data. And one of the things about this pandemic is that we began it without data. We have developed data through time, and that's really important. What we each need is not the ability to conduct that research, but rather the ability to use research that has not had the time to be completely tested to make our own decisions for our own actions right now. And because it's right now, we can't wait till the research is final and given as the last word by the experts. So this is risk assessment, and it is a basic tool that you could be learning in a high school AP statistics class.
0: Unfortunately, I think there's very few of us who have taken that level of statistics, or at least let me speak personally. I took one statistics class my freshman year at UC San Diego and very quickly changed my major to one where such a requirement didn't exist.
1: So this is a place where I have expertise because I have applied these techniques to earthquake risk, which is a different type of public health issue. The basic probability math doesn't care about the details of what it is that you're trying to assess the chances of. We've talked many times in this podcast about two approaches to understanding risk, the analytical approach based on numbers and our experiential approach based on our feelings. We all have the capability to use both. And we need the emotions that get generated by the experiential risk to believe in our actions. But we need the analytical assessment to get the most accurate assessment of risk. As we move from pandemic, where the government intervened because our healthcare system is being overwhelmed by the sudden change, to endemic, where the social systems have figured out how to manage the risk because it is now predictable, This is the time when we need our own individual analytical capacity to make decisions for ourselves.
0: Now, here in California, the mandates for masking are being lifted and people are acting as though the pandemic is over. And based on what you're saying, the pandemic portion of the viral spread is over. But
1: as we move into endemic, is the pandemic over? Well, the pandemic is over only in the sense that we can now predict how many people will be getting sick. It doesn't mean the risk to us is gone. Flu is endemic, and it kills tens of thousands of Americans each year. Endemic COVID might still be killing 100,000 or more Americans each year.
0: The role of government here is interesting, then, as different levels of government and various positions within government have different motivations for taking action, then. As much as we want them to be better than us, right, I think that we look at elected officials and government officials as being something special, they're still human, And sometimes when government tells us to, we sometimes have to give up some autonomy for the greater good. Like March 2020, when we all locked down and everybody stayed home. But as time goes on, as we normalize the disaster or risk, we don't want government to tell us what to do. I mean, that's what I'm seeing all around me. As we get to this point in the virus transmission through our national and global populations, the role of government and our expectation of them has changed. We are all more aware of what works for us as individuals. And we sometimes believe we have the answer of how we want to manage the risk. Like you talked about the driver of fear in our last episode, how that helps us manage the
1: risk, take action on the risk, but sometimes not in the most effective way. Well, and also mostly on the short term. Our society has evolved a public health system to manage government's role in this. When the sudden increase of an epidemic happens, public health has given a lot of power because our healthcare system is in danger of collapsing when we have this unexpected increase when the healthcare system is adapted to the new reality we give decision making power back to the people we need to remember that removing a mask mandate is not mandate that you remove your mask rather you now have the choice
0: And I take a deep breath there because if it's on us now, not just you and I, but on the millions upon millions of people in our county, across the state and across the country and globe, how do we make that choice?
1: Let's go to our analytical system and do some basic probability. When you are trying to figure out your chance of something happening, you multiply the probabilities of all the steps that lead to that outcome.
0: And presumably that isn't catching COVID. I know a lot of people who just got it and say, it was not a big deal. Didn't mind. They didn't mind it. I think my experience is that it's the chance of dying or getting health problems from long COVID or catching COVID and then giving it to a vulnerable relative or friend or someone you care about. So for this conversation, let's use the example of not wanting to get the long-term impacts from COVID as being our objective.
1: So let's say you're trying to decide if you should go to a party or not. You need to know what is the chance that somebody at the party has COVID to start with, the chance that you will catch COVID from them, and the chance that you will get long COVID from having had that case of COVID. We have to take these three numbers and multiply them together. We've got a 50-50 chance that somebody's at the party has COVID. Now let's estimate about a 10% chance that you catch COVID from them. So now you've got a 5% chance of catching COVID out of this party but only one in five cases turn into long COVID. So you've got a 1% chance of ending up with long COVID out of this party. That doesn't sound like a great choice to me, given all the problems of long COVID. So I would probably either avoid the party or wear a mask while I was there.
0: So what's the bottom line in all of this, Lucy, having given that example and the other discussion that we've had thus far?
1: You're going to struggle to find all these numbers. But what you need to remember is that with vaccination, and low community transmission numbers, the chances of getting a dangerous outcome is pretty low, but you can always further lower the risk by wearing a mask. So we're moving into a phase where controlling your exposure is more up to you. You are being asked to take responsibility for your own health. Wearing a mask in indoor settings is always going to be something that reduces your risk. And you have to choose how important that is to you. Who are you exposing, not just yourself, but of course the people that you could be giving the disease to and remembering those long-term impacts.
0: We are not done with COVID-19, that's clear. And we each need to find a way to live with it while protecting ourselves and others from getting long-term or fatal impacts. We'll leave it there for now. And until next time, I'm John Bwery with Dr. Lucy Jones and you, Getting Through It. Getting Through It is a production of the Dr. Lucy Jones Center for Science and Society. Visit us online to get past shows and become a supporter at patreon.com. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com and search Dr. Lucy Jones. Our music is performed by Josh Lee and this closing music is written by our own Dr. Lucy Jones.